You are listening to the Safety of Work podcast, episode 97. Today we're asking the question, should we link bonus pay to safety performance? Let's get started. Hey everybody, my name's Drew Ray, I'm here with David Proven, and we're from the Safety Science Innovation Lab at Griffith University in Australia. Welcome back to the Safety of Work podcast. In each episode, we ask an important question in relation to the safety of work or the work of safety, and we examine the evidence surrounding it. So today we're going to tackle an issue which I guess falls into the work of safety, looking at the issue of safety performance and bonus pay for individuals. David, over to you to introduce the topic. Yeah, great, Drew. Um, so I guess many organisations have incentive schemes for safety and, and targets, I guess, KPIs around safety performance. Uh, this can range from you know, uh, shopping vouchers through to other types of rewards. And I guess specifically today, we're talking about uh, formal payment schemes that, uh, that provide well, financial cash bonuses if certain safety performance targets are met. Um, and I guess there'd be a lot of debate and discussion and some of which we'll hopefully get through today. So a lot of work, Drew, I'm not sure how familiar with the work that uh, Professor Andrew Hopkins and um, Sarah Maslin at ANU of Australia National University have done in relation to this. They published a book called Risky Rewards and, and the subtitle was How Company Bonuses Affect Safety. And I guess that um, contained a lot of case studies, but also some results of 11 interviews that were done with different company leaders around 2015. And I guess what they framed up in that piece of work was three questions. Do our incentive schemes work as they're intended to work? Uh, do financial rewards motivate the right behaviours or do they have unintended consequences? And are the right indicators being being used? Drew, what are your sort of general thoughts on on this topic and some of this body of work? Just as a matter of social justice, I guess I'm pretty much in favour of profit sharing as a general idea, where if companies make extra money, then a large amount of that money should be returned to the employees. And that should be more true for businesses that really profit off the back of the work of their employees as opposed to capital investment. But I don't see any particular reason why that should be targeted at senior executives. And I think that tends to immediately start distorting the incentives. Because in fact, a lot of ways that senior executives get rewarded are at the expense of the well-being of their employees. And so, you know, in the financial realm, we get the idea of um, people actually getting bonuses for cutting employee numbers and cutting employee salaries, which seems like directly perverse to the like social justice of profit sharing. When it comes to safety, I am, have really mixed feelings because I think that if we're if we're going to have bonuses in the first place. And particularly if we're going to have these bonuses that is re are rewarding executives, then we shouldn't be incentivizing people to ignore safety in return for other things. So, you know, logically, safety should be part of the mix. On the other hand, that's like adding in one extra perverse incentive to a system that already has heaps of perverse incentives. It doesn't necessarily fix it. It just skews it to yet another way that executives are encouraged to skew the performance of the company to match their own personal interests rather than the interests of the company and the employees. So I'm really mixed because I sort of agree on principle, but I disagree on in any practical form. Yeah, I think there's a challenge between the ideal here, the ideals here and the practicalities, because I guess my last experience, well, I've many experiences with this, but I I had the opportunity when I used to have a real job to set company targets and to actually define how they would link into bonus schemes. And over about five years, I sort of changed them every year, just experimenting with you know what went on in the organization with those targets. And I, I wanted to get away from recordable injury rates. So I remember one year, I changed the bonus pay to uh, fatality potential incidents, You know the number of fatality potential incidents, because the year before, We'd had 20 across the organization. So I thought setting a 20% reduction down to 16 would focus people on the fatality risks. And you know, we would we would have a uh, you know, maybe just a, a, a more focused uh, approach in the year. And then at the end of that year, we went from 20 the year before down to five. And I thought, wow, that's, that's all right, 
reduction. And then looking through, I kind of noticed that I'm not sure that the overall severity of incidents changed, but a lot of things were were classified in a way that didn't represent them as a significant incident. So I guess the ideal of the situation and then the practicality of what is it that we can actually use, and there's things like listing rules, which are very particular about what you can what you can and can't do with uh, financial incentives and things like that. So anyway, that was my experience, Drew, and I, I guess it mirrors some of the things we'll talk about in the paper today. The, the only time I've worked in an organisation where I felt that there was very positive linking of safety performance to other targets was where it was an issue directly in the control of the person getting the bonus. And I really don't think outcome measures are, but there are lots of things under the control of an executive that we want to incentivize. For example, if we're going to give bonuses for early project completeness to like, um, sorry, early project completion to a project manager, then we want to say, okay, you've also got to complete all of the safety activities before you can get that bonus. That's a nice, neat link. Or if we've got a senior executive, you why not tie it to you've promised to implement certain systems? Have you actually implemented those systems? You've promised to attend certain meetings. You promised to do a certain number of safety walkarounds. Whatever you think of safety walkarounds, you know, tie people to the promises that they've made for things that they have personal control over. And at least then you're encouraging them to put some time and thought into safety. Yeah, and to be devil's advocate there, I also was responsible for setting a target once to improve the completion of safety actions on time to take that up from, I think at the time, we had about 50% of the safety actions completed on time. And we set a target of 80 and we got pretty close and then went and did a bit of an assurance review on on the actions. And the sample that we chose, we found two thirds of them closed out, not done. So I've kind of got, I'm a bit skeptical of of anything that we count the more pressure we apply to that, whether it's through financial incentives or, or management pressure to that, we'll get the answer that we want, but it just might not be the actual answer. Yeah, the, the obvious rejoinder to that is if you're staking tens of thousands of dollars of bonuses on a metric, spend more than five minutes trying to think of what the metric should be. And often we do put in these really simple things. You know, we incentivize closeout. Okay, so people focus on closeout. Maybe we should have thought about whether what we really wanted was closeout or whether we wanted them to actually do the actions. I think sometimes we can really put pretty high stakes on pretty poorly thought out things. We oversimplify what we're going to measure and reward. I think that might actually be the punchline at the end of the episode, Drew. It might be, we might be done. But let's let's continue anyway. So, look, this paper was suggested by a listener, and it's always a little bit easier to... Uh, because I guess we at least know that there's one listener that will be interested in our in our discussion today. But uh, if you do have those ideas, send them through. And we've talked a lot. We've talked about safety performance measurement a few times. We talked about a report by Matt Hallowell and his team on the statistical invalidity of uh, recordable injury rates. Uh, some work earlier, I think, in, around podcast 35 by Helen Lingard and her team on leading indicators in the construction industry. And so this is an interesting extension of that. So you know, the indicator matters, but also regardless of the indicator, what's the impact of of having targets and, and reward schemes for safety? And Drew, I also recall we did an episode uh, relatively early on on rewarding behavior itself and uh, and the implications of that. So Drew, I might introduce the paper if that's okay, and we'll go from there. So this paper, the title of this paper is called Rewarding Safety Performance, Improving Safety or Maintaining Beliefs? Uh, question mark. So the authors are Fawaz Batar, Diane Chadwick-Jones, Robert John DeBoer, and Marcin Nazaruk. I know all of these authors, uh, Drew, I'm sure you do as well. Fuzzy and Diane, well, Diane is no longer at BP. This this study was done inside inside the BP organization. And I guess under Fuzzy's leadership of safety at, at BP, there's there's been you know quite a reasonable number of contributions to the safety science literature based on case study work inside the BP organization. There was some work into um, just culture programs and and a whole range of human performance type topics. And I guess it's just great to see organizations that are trying to bridge the gap between, uh, you know, doing good quality research and I guess understanding the the real life practices inside organizations. Robert John de Boer is uh, a professor at SDO University of Applied Sciences in the Netherlands. And Marcin Nazaruk is at Baker Hughes, uh, 
He also does a lot of work with the International Association of Oil and Gas Producers, uh, IOGP, and I'm actually doing some work with him on resilience at the International Atomic Energy Authority at the moment, Drew. So a fairly good um, combination of academics and practitioners in this paper. Yeah, it's an interesting mix of authors. So I didn't realise that the first author was senior management within BP. My reading of the paper, I'd almost assumed that they were a PhD student and that this was an sort of early work as part of a PhD project from the style of it. No, I don't know how that first authorship uh, popped up, um, but I guess that's the way that um, that happens. But um, I mean, Fuzzy's a great leader and and has done done quite a lot of good work there. So it's a recent paper, Drew, only published in May 2022, uh, a couple of months ago in the Journal of Safety Science. Drew, I thought we wouldn't go into a long background on organisational reward si- systems uh, because we've just done a little bit of that in the introduction. But I guess by design, organisational reward systems, I guess, hold the assumption that what we're trying to do is add external or extrinsic sources of motivation to, I guess, an employee's intrinsic motivation to be safe and and manager's uh, motivation to run a safe company by saying, let's just pl- apply a bit more motivation for people in the organization to do the things that we want them to do. And um, financial rewards for safety, they've been recommended a number of times. So the Baker report into Texas City accident talked a lot about uh, linking financial rewards to process safety indicators. And even the Institute of Occupational Safety and Health as recently as 2017 in the UK sort of really strongly encouraged organizations linking financial rewards to, to safety. However, Drew, the the literature in this topic is fairly vague and inconclusive, I guess, as to whether financial rewards drive different behaviours than than they would otherwise. And I guess some studies based on this paper, I guess some studies in the literature review said that, yeah, there's other processes like training and collaborative goal setting are more impactful. Any sort of thoughts about the literature on this topic? I find it rather interesting the way the safety literature sometimes takes for granted other aspects of organizational life and assumes that they're immutable. So it makes sense if you're measuring, if you're giving rewards for all other aspects of performance, then it makes total sense that, you know, why ignore safety? Surely that rewards people and encourages them to reward safety. But if you look at the general literature on performance bonuses, you see that they cause trouble across the board. That performance bonuses don't achieve their purposes for financial or other performance either. They cause senior executives to do behaviours which are quite perverse. It's the exact opposite. You're, you're assuming that people are not aligned with the goals of the company to start with, which is usually wrong. Then you deliberately put in place a system that is designed to further align them. And what that system actually does is cause them to take behaviours which are directly contrary to the interests of the company. And that happens routinely with any sort of performance bonus. And so the question is sort of, do we try to fix the whole system or do we throw in safety? So at least safety is just as bad as everything else. Yeah. And I think as we get to the end of this paper, I guess that's, that's the, that's the, the, the challenge of, you know, to do or not to do. That's, that's, that's the question here. And, and what's the least worst decision to make? And I guess that's the, that's the major concern in the literature, Drew. This, you know, does it does this actually create these perverse actions? The management of the measure, as opposed to you know behaviours consistent with the achievement of the outcome that that measures, I guess, meant to be related to. Uh, but I, I do like the way they finish off their literature review, though. Oh, quoting a paper of ours. <laughs> Look, and so there's, I guess. There's two schools that well let's let's talk about that for a moment. So um, it's always nice to see um, someone's read uh, work that you've written. And so in relation to our safety work versus the safety of work paper talked about, there's some things that are done in the interest. We talked about that there's some things that are done in the interest of safety that uh, create value based on the structures and beliefs that they maintain and reinforce in the organisation as opposed to the direct risks that they manage. So and how difficult it is to remove anything that you're doing for for safety. So in that sense, I kind of likened maybe the performance bonuses drew as a performance performative activity as opposed to an instrumental activity. So this is here as some kind of our performance bonuses are not actually designed to be instrumental in driving safety risk reduction in our business. They're designed to create a feeling and an emotion and a belief in the organization about the importance of the topic as a you know like a performance 
what are your thoughts, I guess, around around that? Um, so, so firstly, I really liked the very nuanced reading of our paper. I, I don't think we've had that many people cite our work who've really sort of got the idea that uh, the work of safety as institutional work can have a value in its own right. That it's not just this distinction between things that are good for safety and things that are not, that we can have these things that are not immediately instrumental, but that are still fundamental to how we value and manage safety in our organisation. So I, I really sort of liked that reading of it. And I think that this is the right way to look at cash bonus schemes is because in the short term, they're definitely going to be dysfunctional in many ways. Um, you know, it's unlikely that you're offering someone an extra $1,000 this year is suddenly going to prevent an accident. But the question is, in the long run, what sorts of structures and cultures and ways of thinking do offering these bonuses support? Do they support structures which are generally weighting safety more than they would otherwise? Or do they support structures which are like systematically um, misreporting, misrecording, twisting safety? That's really the question rather than in the short term whether they like immediately work or immediately don't work. Yeah, I, th- I think we've got a reasonable answer in the literature that in the short term they don't really do much instrumental, and this this paper's this research is going to reinforce that. So we yeah we might we might have an answer to that. And I, I don't know about you, Drew, but I guess there's when you talk about bonuses and KPIs to people inside organisations, they tend to hold one of two <laughs> don't know if it's worth beliefs, but thoughts about the issue. Is either like what gets measured gets managed. So if you talk to senior people, they're very much about that, you know, you, if you're measuring it, it'll get managed. And then another school of thought of people in the organization that say what, get me- what gets measured gets manipulated. So I guess um, they're the two sides of the coin. And there's some interesting findings in this paper about depending on at what level of the organization you're talking to, you're going to get one of those two responses. David, I just want to do a quick look ahead to a single finding in the paper that I think is interesting and worth talking about now. All right. And that is, we can be really cynical about bonuses and say that like, okay, so bonuses caused people to misreport things, to distort things in order to earn the financial reward. One of the things they found in this study is that most of the people in the company didn't understand exactly how the bonus was calculated in the first place. So I don't think we should be too cynical that people are like sitting down with their spreadsheets and working out how to manipulate figures given that they didn't even know how their bonus was determined. You, it would be a prerequisite before you could manipulate it, you'd need to understand it at a bit of a mathematical level. There's also an individual finding in the paper just on that, that linking performance bonuses to incident rates significantly increased the time that senior leaders spent involved in the activity of classification of incidents. So We'll have to talk about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Oh, it's a lot of things to do in a in a learning from incidents process. I'm not sure classification is the is the part of the process that should get the majority of the attention. All right, Drew, method. Okay, so so we're a single company, uh, I guess. So this is one part design, one part, I guess, convenient sample. I guess if you're the head of safety inside an organization, then you've got an opportunity to get your organization to support some research uh, as opposed to trying to do something like this across an industry. But also quite specifically with uh, with a single company research, Drew, what they wanted to do was explore this topic without the results being confounded by variations in the design of the incentive scheme across different organizations. So they could look at role differences at different levels of an organization. They could look at geographic differences all within the same uh, reward framework. Uh, so I thought that was kind of like a good good opportunity to go narrow and deep as opposed to broad and shallow on this topic. 48 employees participated so they this is sort of a targeted sample they they identified about 70 people at all levels from senior leader to frontline workforce and i guess they're really trying to understand a couple of things one one was the impact of the bonus what people thought the impact of having this bonus scheme was to let's say the safety of work and then what people thought could be improved and before they even got into that they tried to they asked people whether they understood what, what the bonus scheme was and how it worked any thoughts on the research design through at that point, a sample. And so do we know if any of these guys are likely to be listening to the podcast, David? Yeah, they will. I'll, I'll pass it on. Okay, so, so let's let's say the good things first. Um, so, so one really good thing is the nice alignment between the questions they're asking and the method. You remember that if we're evaluating bonus schemes, we're not going to learn about how it directly distorts behavior just by doing interviews. So they were careful that their research questions are not about directly 
do bonus schemes work or not work. They're deliberately asking questions about how people perceive and think about the bonus scheme and how they think it might affect their own behavior and other people's behavior. So they've been really careful about the questions that they're asking, both in terms of research questions and their actual interview questions. 48 interviews is a heck of a lot, as you and I both know from trying to do this sort of work, David. That This is a real deep dive. And putting it within a single company has a lot of advantages because we're all talking about the same scheme. So we're getting a lot of data about how different people might interpret the exact same scheme that's going on in the background. So I really love that. As we get into the paper, you start to see lots of statistics that they're using, which frankly is methodologically incoherent. You can't do qualitative research like this and do things like count the number of participants who mention a theme or count the number of times a theme occurs or try to do statistical comparisons between one geographic region and another. That, that, that's, that's just all guff that gets in the road of otherwise good research. So I, I don't like the way they've written up the analysis. I think there is some lost opportunity due to a sort of misguided desire to be too statistically method methodical about something that doesn't lend itself to the statistical analysis. I'd rather they put that thought and attention into what good qualitative research looks like instead of trying to make their qualitative research look like it's quantitative research. Um, now, knowing the journal it's published in, that may be entirely the fault of the peer reviewers that made them do that. So if they put in all those statistics because the peer reviewers said so, then I apologize to the authors and I sympathize with them. If they chose to do that themselves, then that wasn't time well spent. But overall, this is a good method for the questions that they're asking. Yeah, I think I, I wasn't going to talk, I think during the results, we weren't going to talk too much. And I was sort of going to make that comment, which was that um, the statistical significance was kind of irrelevant based on the sample. But I don't know why those statistical tests were being used because, you know, there was some really good quality descriptive work in the, in the analysis. And it felt like What's emerged from this paper, Drew, is a whole bunch of really interesting questions that would actually now suit a very large-scale survey sample that you could you could you could actually design based off the findings in here, and then you could you could you know be as quantitative as you wanted to be. So before we get into the results, the analysis method. So so basically, what they what they did was they had the way they do some analysis. So you start by reading reading the transcripts, and then you're trying to extract what are the meaningful statements or pieces of information inside or snippets let's use the word snippets because they they did within that so and then you give them a label so oh this person said that bonus schemes encourage people to down classify incidents or something so what you're trying to do is just extract snippets of meaning out of that theme and then do that obviously transcript by transcript and this is why 48 interviews is a lot of data so they obviously shared it around and the way that they did that is they all coded the same data independently and then made sure that they were coding it in a similar sort of way. And then they're able to divide up the analysis research. And Drew, you and I have done that personally in, in the past and it's 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 not a bad, not a bad process. But they ended up with, I guess, over a thousand of these coded snippets of data. And I guess it was those thousand things that they started using to do some of their statistical analysis on Drew, which coming from semi-structured interviews, I don't think that makes any statistical sense to to do that. So for example, different they said that um, the majority of this data relates to suggestions for improvement. And that's really just because that's the way that the questions were geared. If you ask someone, what's the link between this and that, it's going to be a short answer. If you ask someone, what are the things that you think could be done to improve this, it's going to be a longer answer. And I guess that's obviously why the majority of the the information is is where it is true that's at least my my thoughts on the design yeah yes exactly so so, so let, how about we just ignore the statistics and get into the really rich qualitative data that they've produced all right so the first we're going to do this across three areas so understanding the link between the bonus scheme payment and safety performance this is sort of a general question of you know what's the what's the link between the two i guess drew 19 out of the 48 people could say how they were linked to bonus payments so that, you know, if you do the maths, that's 31 people couldn't accurately describe the way that the system worked. And it was predominantly the supervisors and the frontline staff that really didn't understand how it worked. The middle and senior managers knew how it worked, but the rest of the organisation didn't really. David, should we say a little bit about how the bonuses were calculated in this company? Do you think that's relevant at all? Sure. 
Drew, my understanding from the paper is that the performance bonuses were tied to a combination of lagging indicators based on personal safety and process safety. Um, the company also me measured globally two leading indicators, but those two leading indicators weren't connected to the actual bonus payment scheme itself. If I, does that match your understanding? So, so I think there are sort of three factors that went in. There's each employee has a maximum potential bonus that then gets multiplied by their performance against these lagging indicators. And then they have one of these stacked performance ranking systems where in their performance evaluations, they're forced to rank their people. And if you're higher up the rankings, you get a full score. If you're lower down the rankings, you get a lower score. So automatically, not everyone can get the same bonus um, because there's this forced choice that if you're lower down the ranking, you'll be forced to get a lower bonus than someone else. So there's a bit of individual performance as well as performance against the metrics. But the individual performance isn't based on safety. It's just based on overall ranking. Yeah, and I couldn't work out because at the end of the paper, it said that that individual ranking thing doesn't has been removed or and I, I didn't work out if that was done after the study or it was actually been removed but people didn't know it but yeah there, there were certainly people in the study complaining about the forced ranking system yeah and i but i didn't know whether it was actually a historical thing or not but yes so so i guess i guess in 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 the scheme though a fairly a fairly general these are the incident rates and based on that there's a bonus of a certain amount so drew the impact on safety i guess is uh where people were asked of you know how does how does the performance bonus system impact the safety, let's say the safety of work. And 87% of people in the survey, so all but a handful of people suggested that it had a limited or a negative impact on safety, which is kind of, it's a lot of people, Drew, in or out of 48. That's, 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 let's say 42, 43 people who said either this doesn't help much or it makes, or it does the opposite of help. Okay, hinder, hinders, hinders things. Yeah, I, I thought the mix of reasons, though, were really interesting. So some people said they didn't think it mattered because how they behaved as an individual, they didn't really understand how that fitted into the overall target. So, you know, it's too too distant, too lagging to affect what I'm going to do right now. Um, other people said, actually, it's just too small, <laughs> like implying that actually the problem isn't the bonus. The problem is that there's not enough of a bonus. So if it was a bigger bonus, it would have a bigger effect. And then other people actually sort of were mixing up this should and does, saying that because it's an ethical obligation, it shouldn't be incentivized for money, which really doesn't say whether it does or doesn't, just that they're uncomfortable with the idea that it is. So, yeah, even though they all seem to agree, they actually agree in ways that seem to be almost contradictory. There's a real mix of feelings about how bonuses work and whether they should be there in the first place. And if they are there, are they better, bigger, smaller? Do they make a difference? You, wide range of views. Yeah, it is. And, and all those examples that you gave. And then I also like the the, the example of, well, this is a, I wasn't aware of this, but the, the way that the performance bonus is linked to the incident rates, it's employee incidents only. And so some people said, well, it's actually contractors who do most of the work at, at this company. And so they're excluded from the calculation for the bonus scheme. So I thought, that was obviously a way of trying to get the things that were linked to the bonuses more into the control of the people who are impacted by them. Well, that creates a good, great perverse incentive to make the contractors do all the dangerous stuff because if they get hurt, it doesn't affect the bonus. Yeah, there's a few um, unintended consequences there. So almost half of the respondents, Drew, said that, although did say, and unprompted when asked about, you know, how does this impact on safety, half of the responses, respondents made mention that it actually showed that safety was a priority for the company. So they were talking about, you know, what does it directly do for operational decision making? And I thought that was quite quite interesting that 50% of people unprompted when they were asked about the link actually talked about this performative link that, you know, it, it contributes because it shows that it's a priority. It doesn't contribute directly. And so what people are saying that it shows safety is a priority and there, but, but there are a few other negative things as well, like people thought it influenced. There are a few other ways that people thought it negatively impacted the safety of work, that it influenced reporting. So to not report something or to reclassify something, people didn't feel it was based on the actual performance of the individual. But it, Drew, this last piece I, I, I mentioned at the start, none of the negative comments that we've mentioned now about the impact on safety were, were raised or said by any of the senior managers. So when asked, how does this impact on safety of work, nothing negative was said by senior managers. So I guess that's an interesting I don't know. How, what, what do you make of that? I was going to ask you, like, how you interpreted that. 
my, my immediate thought is that this is consistent with attitudes towards behavioural safety schemes, is that senior people seem to have a very naive behavioralist view of how frontline workers are incentivized. So they like sincerely believe that handing out lollipops makes people like them and sincerely believe that rewarding people with bonuses causes them to act safer. It just seems to be a, a something in the way managers are trained or socialized is to sort of view the world as having these big effects from quite small deliberate actions within the control of the managers. So I don't see that as self-interested. I see that as probably a genuine belief that they have, that this is a tool in their hands and they want to believe that the tool works rather than anything like cynical about the fact that they get the highest bonuses. I think they would see how it operates for other people quite differently from how they would see how it operates in their own lives. Yeah, I think and it's it's I guess you can only do what you can do. And I guess as senior people in organisations, you've got limited tools at your disposal to 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 impact some of these things and it is one of those those blanket tools that you can run across the organization and go okay this might it, you know this is this is going to shift the dial this is going to shift the dial a little bit if everyone's going to get a thousand dollars then everyone's going to take safety a little bit more seriously but i think that yeah is unhelpful oversimplification of organizational behavior at the front line yeah i, I think there really is a dangerous equivocation between the idea that safety is a priority and the idea that we are doing good things for safety so I don't see it as a good sign that the impact of this scheme is that it shows that safety is a priority. I think that sort of performative belief in safety as a value is directly associated with things like underreporting because it, it, it incentivizes people to sincerely believe that they're doing the right thing by driving down the number of reported incidents. I, I, I don't think that you know it's unquestionably a good thing that we rate safety as a really high value. That can pervert our behaviour even worse than cynical behaviours sometimes. Yeah, I think the then and we'll get to the conclusion shortly after we, we discuss through one more topic. But um, yeah, I might disagree with the authors a little bit there too, where they've suggested what they've suggested around making safety a value for the company. So we'll get to that in a moment. But before we do, Drew, the the last part of this the interviews were about what suggestions people had for the you know the link between. Uh, performance bonus schemes and safety. So, what what to do? Uh, you know, some people suggested things like you know make, making them both leading and lagging indicators. So, lots of lots of suggestions around safety work type leading indicators, Drew, risk control verification, safety leadership visits, obs safety observations, lots of things that we'd see in in safety work leading indicators. I guess that's just to make things more into the control of the people as opposed to the outcomes. People saying avoiding numbers games altogether, just measuring quality, not quantity. Uh, making things specific for a site, like having different sort of performance bonus schemes for production sites and drilling sites and project sites and office sites and things like that. Having the individual contribution count more than the aggregate result. So... And then, you know, this idea of maybe a strong support for a different scheme for leaders in the workforce. So, you know, people who are on site, what does their scheme look like? And people who are maybe senior leadership and off site, something a bit different. So, Drew, your thoughts on, I guess, some of those suggestions or what else you took out of that? I always find people's suggestions more interesting for what problems they reveal and for whether the solutions themselves would solve those problems. I think people are very good at identifying problems and not so good at identifying what solution would actually fix it. So, you know, we look at leading and lagging indicators. That clearly indicates a problem that these lagging indicators are too distantly removed from the actual activities they want to incentivize. But I think you and I, David, both probably agreed that rewarding people for leading indicators is just going to encourage people to do more, make work in the name of safety. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is this is the challenge. I mean, Decker kind of said he, he quotes that you know people are count. Are you just counting what you can count rather than what counts? And there was actually a specific quote from one of the interviewees in this paper that you know we're just chasing measures that we can measure rather than those that actually make a difference to safety. And uh, I mean, I guess that's why we're still debating performance metrics in relation to safety now. Uh, you know, thirty years since we've decided, since we've known that the limitations of of our existing performance measures. But I guess. The alternative hasn't, I guess, yeah, hasn't, hasn't been widely adopted yet. 
And, and then we've got another one here, this suggestion of measuring quality rather than quantity, avoiding numbers games altogether, which points to a, which points to a real problem that anything that we try to quantify is necessarily going to be abstract and distorted. But we know that when we switch to subjective measures for performance evaluation, that it immediately has a gender and racial bias to it. So again, we can clearly see the problem, but the proposed solution actually would make things worse. And we'd end up just being rewarding people for being male and white rather than for their safety performance. That's why we go to quantified measures in the first place is to try to get rid of some of this discrimination that happens in performance evaluation. Yeah. And again, Drew, I think it's the least worst choice because even given some of those biases, um, I, I I would say, for example, if you if I, and I suggest so, I'm interested in your thoughts on this because I put in the practical takeaways, but I might just mention it mention it now. Thinking about what it is you're trying to, what outcome you're trying to create, and then trying to find a way to try to measure that. And so, if you think about safety leadership visits, and you ask the question of, well, what do I want? my leadership visits to do. So do I measure my leaders doing one management walk around every month? And yes, I'll get one management walk around every month. Or what am I trying to create as a result of that? And so say you're trying to create three things. I want to demonstrate to workers that that leaders care about them. I want leaders to understand work as done and what's really going on on the site. And I want leaders to understand and support the management of fatal risks in the business. So, you know, am I better off counting a leadership visit being done once a month? Or am I better off asking all of the workers three questions? Do I think my leader cares about me? Do I think my leader understands my work? Do I see my leader spending most of their time on the really important safety issues? Then even though I'm going to get that racial, I don't know, Drew, your thoughts about, then if people want to do leadership visits, then they can do leadership visits, but they've actually got to try and create that relationship with their workforce. So so, so my thought is that if you were successful at doing those things that you are asking for, then you wouldn't need to incentivize them in the first place. In that if you had managers who genuinely cared and understood about safety, then they would be doing the right things as part of intrinsic value. They wouldn't need to be incentivized to do them. And so really what we're trying to achieve, and this gets back to Hopkins' criticisms of incentive schemes and what the people in things like BP Texas were worried about We're not trying to do these schemes to incentivize safety in the first place. We're trying to do these schemes to ensure that we can distribute some profits back to the company and to the workers through our bonus schemes without creating perverse incentives against safety. So really, if the best we can do is avoid our bonus scheme hurting safety, I would count that as a win. And so that would suggest even more simple things like giving the safety manager a veto over the bonuses. You know, your bonus gets calculated according to other things, but the safety manager has to sign off on it. And if you've done enough things to annoy the safety manager over the past year, then you don't get your bonus. And so, you know, all we're really doing is putting a check to say, you know, don't downplay safety in your pursuit of other things, or we won't reward you with your bonus. Nice, Drew. I had kind of like this this visual reaction to the relationship between the safety organization and and the rest of the organization of applying that veto. So, yeah. <laughs> a positive or negative visceral action there, David? Quite negative. I could see, I could see the rubber stamping of a whole lot of lot of things. But yes, look, and 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 the least worst choice. So that the authors, I guess, suggest that the annual cash bonus, in their belief, practice should be discontinued on in the long term. I guess because of its limited influence on safety in the first place and its potential adverse effect on safety outcomes, as we've talked about. But at the same time, they were very clear that, you know, there needs to be alternative means and mechanisms for ensuring and that the company's commitment to safety is communicated and believed across the organisation. So I guess, Drew, let's tackle these in a few parts and then we'll do the practical takeaways. So your thoughts about um, abolishing a cash bonus for safety in favour of, you know, other ways of creating a culture in which safety is is a value. I'm, I'm not certain that that's realistic for a lot of, certainly for a lot of positions in the company. If the logic of the way in which we reward people and incentivize people and talk about performance is in terms of targets and incentives and bonuses, then we can't run safety under a totally different logic. We would have to actually remove that entire structure and logic of thinking, which I think is outside of our power when we're just trying to influence safety as a single thing. So I don't think we can do anything that is separate from 
the way we generally think about bonus and remuneration in a company. Yeah, and that's that's practically what uh, you know the conclusion that 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 I ha- hold, Drew, which is that if you are rewarding anything in your business, production, finance, employee engagement, if you if you are rewarding anything, then my view is that you kind of have to have safety alongside that if you want to signal a yeah if you want to try to signal it an importance there. If you're talking about removing that whole structure, then yeah, great, do that. But I think taking safety out of a performance structure or not putting it into a performance structure kind of probably, you know, doesn't, is a worse choice than having it in there. And and I'll go a step further and say, I think that is most important the more senior you are in the company. So I wouldn't see that as being universally true if we had a whole of workforce bonus scheme. I think it's really irrelevant for frontline employees, whether we include or don't include safety in their bonus, just give them the bonus because it's outside their control where the safety is achieved. Whereas it's more for senior executives and investment in safety that we need to be careful about making sure that we've got safety as part of that package. I had an interesting debate with the senior leader of an organization recently, Drew, and interested in your take on this. Um, they're trying to understand, uh, you know, I guess they're using uh, the Hudson maturity model. That's a whole nother conversation, but you know, this idea that our listeners would understand from calculative to whatever the next one is, proactive and generative or, or, or that. And um, trying to understand what they do with their safety KPIs and linking to bonus schemes in each kind of level. And I had this debate, well, if you are going to link them to be generative, then you, I guess, if you look at that descriptor, you should have more than 50% of your entire bonus pool devoted to your safety metrics. And you probably should devote it, devote that 51% of your or more of your entire bonus to getting a generative outcome on a safety culture score. But the company kind of struggled. And I guess that's why some of these descriptions of these these cultures are a bit impossible because, you know, you could probably never see an organization. Most of the organizations have like 5% of the overall bonus on on safety. You know, it's, it's entirely immaterial. Yeah, the, the idea of linking your bonus to a score on a safety maturity metric seems absolutely bizarre. Because I was, I would have thought, for example, if let's say we're talking about a senior management team actually taking action on safety, a generative culture would about be about transforming the way the company manages safety. So in other words, literally what they should be doing is changing their metrics. That's what they should be rewarded for. And you're measuring them based on a metric when you're supposed to be coming up with new metrics is just an absolutely perverse incentive. Yeah. Um, well, least, it, 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 you know, the actual act of like, rewarding people based on a standardized metric that is a calculative culture it is it is and i guess i guess institutions don't uh don't have radically different structures and and processes as as well so i guess you know maybe what you're saying there then in under those things is those things are never actually possibly achievable because an organization can never possibly change enough to do what those some of those cultural descriptions say Oh, oh, yeah. The, the the idea that you could have like multiple organisations that are as far apart in their fundamental ways of thinking that some of those scales imply just makes very little sense when you've been inside a real organisation. Where I think that sort of thinking might have value is that it does point towards localising what the performance metrics are. I think that's one way to break up performance, uh, break up perverse incentives, is to target the incentive towards what people are able to control. So that's part of why I said, you know, don't apply like broad scale metrics to your frontline workforce because they've got very little in their control. If you're going to reward them for anything, reward them for day-to-day behaviors on a day-to-day. Don't reward them at the bonus at the end of the year. Your CEO, maybe actually outcome measures aren't that bad as a metric. You know, that's the least bad thing to measure them on is just overall safety outcome. I'll try another one, Andrew. See how you go with this one. Did some work with a company recently, a, a refinery, and their metric for the year, and again, about localizing it for one of the refinery sites, was to implement an additional 50 engineering layers of protections for process hazards. So one a week for the next year. So it's all about you know going back into their process hazard analysis processes and looking at where can we put you know instrumented systems, where can we put... Um, additional barriers and protections, and then they have to come back and evidence that they've got an additional 50 independent protection layers, uh, engineering independent protection layers for process safety risks within 12 months. 
My immediate thought is for the poor assurance engineer on day 364 of that year, sitting down trying to invent 50 things that have been done in the past year and reclassify things to count them as layers of protection. But actually, overall, I don't mind that scheme, that if like it's got everyone thinking that the way to get our bonus is to find new ways to add protection. Sure, there'll be some attempts to reclassify, Sure, anything they do is an improvement they'll be trying to claim as a layer of protection. But you are at least incentivizing people mostly in the right direction. You know, if we're looking at least worst, that's not too bad. Oh, gee, that's good. I did, I did make some jokes because um, people have challenged me quietly off the record to find some things where you'll say, yeah, actually, that, that, that might work. So um, <laughs> my, my goal for some of these was to keep throwing out examples of things that I'm involved in and trying to get you at one point to say that might work. All right. So some takeaways, Drew, I guess, interested in interesting your thoughts on, on these. This idea of measuring quality, not quantity. So what are we actually, what are the, what are the outcomes, behaviors we actually want? And is what we're measuring actually giving us insight into that or, you know, maybe directing anything useful um, towards that, yeah, you know, if that's even possible. So, thoughts? I, I I think that's absolutely the right mindset to have when you're trying to implement these systems. You shot down in flames my idea of having the senior safety manager <laughs> determine quality, and so you know we're going to run into that same problem that we end up trying to, to create a metric for something that fundamentally is a subjective judgment. Yeah. And and some of these things are really hard with quality, not quantity, because, you know, like most of the organizations that our listeners might work for or be listed organizations, they'll be subject to security investment uh, rules and uh, stock exchange listing rules. And they'll have, you know, remuneration policies within their organizations, their shareholder reports, and you can't just pay people stuff for no reason. And so I guess, and, and you can't pay people stuff without a transparent and audible process for determining how much you pay people, which is why quantitative numbers-based systems that can be audited and verified and accounted for are unnecessary in lots of jurisdictions. So, Drew, there is a lot of constraint around what you can do with these things. But we do in other areas use things like 360-degree performance evaluations. I, I don't see a fundamental problem in at least making your bonus conditional or prorated to a particular evaluation based on your individual goals for the year and your individual achievement against those goals as perceived by your peers, the people above you, the people below you. As with any performance evaluation, there's a little bit of you know, perverse incentive there. There's a little bit of horse trading, a little bit of back and forth. Um, but at least it sends that same clear signal that you know your bonus is conditional on you having safety objectives and you meeting those safety objectives. Through your, fa- your faith in human ethics is... <laughs> I- my last story of this podcast is going to be, I was involved, I, I, I know a person who, who shared with me, they had gone on an employee, employee engagement was tied to executive remuneration, everyone's, everyone's, everyone's remuneration. And that team had gone from an engagement score of in the 20s to in the 90s in 12 months. I spoke with some people in that team because I wanted to understand and how did you do it? And they said, last year, we were the worst performing team. And every single week for the last 12 months, we've had engagement improvement sessions and workshops. And so we all agreed that there was no way we were going to go through another year of all this <laughs> extra work. And so we all agreed how we were going to respond to this survey this time around, none of which was known to the leader, uh, the leadership group of that particular team who had suddenly thought that they were now the best leaders in the world. But on the other hand, their goal was to improve the perform- the employee engagement score. They absolutely mess- met that goal. Why should they not be rewarded for it? Yeah, yeah. so I think 360-degree service. And I guess the examples that we're sharing, and, and it won't be any surprise to our listeners, is this is all about the least worst outcome. And hopefully most of what you've taken out of out of this is, is least worst outcome. And I guess the last practical thing that I wanted to say, Drew, was you know, understand what is going on in your organization with your current system. Like nothing stops any of you doing what uh, Fuzzy and Diane did with with BP here and speak to 50 people at all different levels of your organization and ask, ask them these questions. Do you know how this works? Do you think it has an impact on safety? Do you think we could do it differently? Because you, you want to know the unintended consequences that this system might be having and, you know, there might be ways to, you know, make it better. 
David, you talked about me having too much faith in humanity. Here is something where I do have genuine faith. And that is, I think that when you ask people about things like performance incentives, they tend to give you honest answers as long as you ask the right question. So, you know, people will manipulate their own behavior in order to achieve performance goals. But if you ask them, how is this goal causing you to change their, your behavior? They will often try to give you a good answer because they don't want to be incentivized into doing bad things. If, if, your, if your performance targets are incentivizing people to rig the system and they would rather be doing something else, but they can't because of your incentive structure, then they're likely to be quite honest with you about how you are causing them to motivate their behavior. So you know, whatever system, that sort of just asking people, how is this making you behave? How are you reacting to it? What are you doing because the system is like this? will generally improve any system, including a performance system. Yeah, I agree, Drew. And I think also just this idea of manipulating, and I don't want to be mis- I guess misinterpreted on on this discussion, because um, you know, even that example I gave earlier about significant incidents going from 20 down to five and, and changes in classification, that wasn't people breaking classification rules. That's just, there's a lot of gray there. So we've got numbers, but the classification of could, what was the potential consequence of this event? Could this have resulted in a fatality? That's a massively wide gray area of judgment to argue and debate. And so when it's not linked to performance bonuses and and metrics, you might err on the side of saying, well, actually, this could have been a fatality, so we'll classify it as such. But then when you throw that in the mix, you go, actually, no, well, it, it wouldn't certainly have resulted in a fatality if something was different. And we did have a few other controls that were there. So... I guess, Drew, I wasn't saying that when I say manipulate, I think it's just how people navigate the gray based on these systems. I actually don't think it's anything that's deliberately unethical going on. I just think it's- I agree 100%. And I think that's why we need to be very clear about when we are incentivizing people to navigate in a particular way, because they're not being unethical. We're forcing them to take particular choices inside a gray zone by, by telling them what we want them to do through our incentive structures. So, Drew- a question, uh, go, by all means. I was going to say, the question we asked this <laughs> week was... <laughs> well, go on, ask it, ask it. Hey, so, so, David, ultimately, should we link safety performance to bonus pay? So I'm going to say yes, but how we do it matters. And I would say in an ideal world, we wouldn't have conditional bonus pay. But given the world we're in, yeah, I agree. We should do it, but we should be careful about it and think hard about how we're doing it. Awesome. So that's it for this week. We hope you found this episode thought-provoking and ultimately useful in shaping the safety of work in your own organisation. Send any comments, questions or ideas for future episodes to feedback at safetyofwork.com. 